Welcome to the Mount Nebo Leadership Podcast, Leaders Live. I'm your host, Greg Cunningham, and I'm grateful to be a part of your leadership journey. In today's episode, I'll be trying something new from a format standpoint. Also, to make things simpler, I'll be changing my release schedule and frequency. Going forward, I'll release just one episode a week on Wednesday mornings. Simple and straightforward. I'd love to get your feedback on these changes. In story time today, I'm going to share one of my favorite Star Trek stories and the lesson behind it. In what I'm calling the Seeker segment, I have a book recommendation for you. And then since I'll be eliminating the shorts episode, each full episode will now have a smaller topic. Today, I'll briefly talk about making decisions based on your long-term goals. And then we'll dive into our main topic today, which will be a walkthrough of some of the aspects of my personality style. Now, the purpose is not for you to have a deep understanding of me, but to give you a better idea of how you can analyze your own results and then how you can use that information to make adjustments and move further down the path on your own leadership journey. Just a quick note before we dive in. If you're interested in getting on our email list, go to www.mountnebelconsulting.com email. That's www.mtnebconsulting.com email. It's free and you can unsubscribe at any time. Generally, it'll be a one to two emails a month as I'm committed to not spamming your inbox. Anyone that signs up for the email list will get a PDF listing of my favorite books, professional and some other non-professional books. I'll put a link to that email form in the show notes. Well, let's start off today with a story. I'm a big Star Trek fan. I'm not going to get into the whole Star Wars versus Star Trek debate because I enjoy some of both universes. I always seem drawn to the leaders in entertainment, and in the case of Star Trek, it's Captain Picard that I find the most interesting. In one episode, he and Dr. Crusher were stuck on a planet together. I don't remember exactly how this happened, but the two of them could hear each other's thoughts. Just think about all of the interesting opportunities that would come up if you could hear someone else's thoughts. Now, one of the things that came up has some great leadership lessons. So in this scene, they were trying to figure out which direction to go. Picard confidently said, we go this way. Crusher stopped and looked at him and basically called his bluff. He really had no idea which way they should go. But his response provides an opportunity to talk a bit about old school leadership versus more modern and effective leadership styles. His answer was essentially that no matter what, the captain had to, quote unquote, you can't see me doing the air quotes, know what they were doing, or at least come across as knowing what they were doing. I'm sure you've seen a lot of examples of this in your lives. It seems to be a key component to command and control. Don't let those you lead see you hesitate, or for that matter, don't show any of your weaknesses. In our modern world, this is not the approach that I would take. I don't necessarily advocate letting everyone know every single time you're unsure or that you should wear your weaknesses on your sleeves, but I do advocate being transparent with your team. If you're unsure about a decision, it's generally okay to share that as long as you provide context for why you are unsure, but then also why you are still moving forward with the decision that you're going to make. This conversation is also a good opportunity to allow those on your team or those around you to share their opinions and to get their buy-in. Now, as for sharing your weaknesses, I believe there is great power in those you lead understanding more about you and your style, and that includes your strengths and your weaknesses. 
This allows them to help support you as you continue to learn and grow. And it also helps create a safe space so that they will also be willing to share where they are struggling and where they may need your help. Okay, so that's today's story. So in what I'm going to call seeker segment, I don't know if that's a good name or not. If you have a better one, let me know. I want to talk about constantly learning and I'll share a book recommendation, talk about something I'm reading, something I learned. And so in this week's episode, my book recommendation is called The Captain Class by Sam Walker. Now, this is a book that my 18-year-old son has read multiple times. He was in his mid-teens when he first read it and was heading into his first season of high school soccer. So his role on the team, he's a captain, and um, this book is about captains of these amazing teams throughout history. So it's sports-oriented, so of course it got his attention, but it also related well to what he wanted to do, which was to be a great leader, not just a great player. Now, one of the key takeaways from this book is that it's not always the most talented or skilled member of the team that makes the biggest difference. It's interesting to see how often the captains of these amazing teams were not the greatest of all time from a player standpoint, but that they had a huge impact on the success of their team. In fact, in some of the examples, the best players could go away and the teams continue to have success because of the captains on these teams and the type of leadership that they exhibited. So lesson here, you don't have to be the best on the team to have an impact. And many times those that aren't the best can have an even bigger impact than those that may be the most skilled or talented. For today's short topic, I want to share an experience that I've had over the last couple of weeks and talk about what I learned from this. So a couple of weeks ago, I applied for a job that made most folks that know me kind of raise their eyebrows. The job was called Golf Shop Manager. So are the rest of you raising your eyebrows now? Well, let me explain just a bit here. I've spoken in a couple of episodes about how I'm trying to avoid going right back to an all-consuming corporate job. To really make that happen, I want to be flexible and versatile as I continue to focus on the podcast and my consulting business. Now, since one of the goals of any of this is to provide for my family, I'm exploring creative ways to do that but still focus on these higher goals that I have. And one of the ideas is that if I can find multiple income streams, I could pursue some of my passions. When I saw the golf course job posted, I thought it might be worth exploring. At least give it a shot, right? So here are the reasons I thought so. One, it offered benefits. I've always been told you work for our small city for the benefits, not the salary. And providing benefits to my family as a self-employed individual is one of my biggest stresses. Another reason, the golf course is less than a mile from my house. It is a management role, so I could continue to practice and hone my management skills. And it would get me out of the house on a regular basis. Now, I also had some concerns. It was listed as full-time, but it didn't talk about what full-time really meant. And related to that, would it allow me to continue to focus on the podcast and other services? So I took a shot at it. Now, in today's world of really crappy application and interviewing experiences, mine was pretty good. I wrote a creative cover letter and explained why even though I was both over and underqualified. I was overqualified on the leadership and management aspects, but underqualified because I haven't golfed in a few years. I explained to them why I wanted to at least explore the opportunity. I had a panel interview and that went just fine. Now, the biggest thing that came out of it was that they were expecting 60 hours a week and it was definitely a seven day a week kind of job. It was a little bit of a downer. 
A couple of days later, I actually got a personal call, not a cold HR email from the golf pro, explaining that they were going in another direction. I told them that was the right call and that it really wouldn't work with my bigger goals anyway. So a couple of lessons that I get out of this. First, there are still some organizations out there that are going to do a decent job in the application process. So if you've had some bad experiences, don't let that turn you off. Don't give up and look for those organizations that give you a better experience. Even if you don't get that first job and they gave you a good experience, you might want to keep track of them because, again, not every organization is going to be as good at communicating and handling applications, rejections, all of that kind of stuff. Second, there's a lesson here for both professionals and those facing any kind of key decision in your life. The simple version of the lesson is that before you make any major decisions, know what your bigger or most important goals are and evaluate how the various options would impact those goals. This is so important. Sometimes we can see that really green field on the other side of a big decision that we need to make and it causes a huge distraction. It pulls in all of our focus. It's like the analogy of not seeing the forest for the trees. If all you see is the tree or a few trees right in front of you, how do you know what else is out there to be discovered? A lot of people just jump in and make these decisions and then find out later that it's really a distraction and pull them off of the freeway or their goals that they needed to stay focused on. For me, I know that I want something other than a single all-consuming job that makes it so I can't focus on anything else. Would the income of this job have been nice? Sure. Would having great benefits be a plus? Absolutely. But here is where it would have come up short for me. First, 60 hours a week during the summer is a big deal. It would take away from my ability to focus on the podcast and my consulting business. Even beyond that, it would take away time from my family. And I've talked about this in the introvert versus extrovert episode, and I'll talk about it a little more in the main topic of this one, but it will also significantly impact my ability to recharge my batteries. The golf course is super busy, and I'd spend 40 or so hours in the clubhouse handling the transactions. And for an introvert, that's not the most energizing environment. In addition, the things I like to do to recharge my batteries, like camping and biking in particular, would take a significant hit since those are not things I can really do during the winter here in Utah. So those are just a couple of the examples why this personally would have been a very tough decision to make. Now, I want to be clear that I'm currently in a position where I don't have to take this job. If I didn't have any other options and needed to take anything and everything I was offered, I would have approached this a little bit differently. And some of you may find yourself in a position where you don't feel like you have a choice but to take something that may have a short-term impact on those long-term goals that you have. And that's okay. It happens. But the message I would have for you is twofold. One, make sure you're being deliberate in the decision and not just jumping in because it's easy. And two, don't lose sight of those long-term goals. I've done that before. It doesn't work out. So find a way, even with the huge but necessary distraction, to keep working towards those longer-term goals and always keep your eye out for the next step. This doesn't just apply to professional opportunities. It also applies to life in general. The example of the way I recharge my batteries and not wanting to compromise that is more about my personal life than it is about work. So think about your long-term goals for you, your family, where you wanna live, what you wanna be doing, etc. What do you enjoy doing outside of your profession? 
and make decisions based on that as best you can. Remember the lady at the call center that wanted to travel? I talked about her in one of my shorts episodes. Her decisions were all about not impacting, but enabling what she wanted to do in her personal life. So do your best to not make decisions that compromise what is most important. Won't always work out, but if you keep this in mind, at least you will make deliberate decisions and be aware of the consequences of your decisions. For me, if you want to see me at the golf course, it won't be in the clubhouse, and you're more likely to see me on my bike riding in the hills above it. If you're enjoying this episode, remember to subscribe. It's free. And then share it with others in your circle. Reviews are also a great way to spread the word. And if you want more leadership and personal development resources, be sure to visit my website at www.mountaineebleconsulting.com. And while you're there, sign up for my email list. All right, so let's dive into the main topic for today. I've always joked around that you do not want to know what's like inside my brain. Well, if you stick around to the end of this episode, you're going to find out. So if you're brave enough, let's go ahead and get started. Now, just remember the purposes of this is not to get inside of my head, but for you to understand the kind of analysis that you can do on your own personality style results. Let me start off by talking about what I value most out of my results. Here are a few reasons why I find so much value in them. First, it's information I would have a hard time getting any other way. While I don't always agree with the recommendations or observations that come out of the models, that's fine, it's still information. Second is that there's a huge portion of the information that is almost immediately actionable. Just being aware of my default behaviors and potential strengths and pitfalls is a benefit in and of itself. But then to be able to go in and build a simple action plan helps me to deliberately determine the kind of leader and individual I want to be. And then lastly, I can't even estimate how much I've used my own results to understand others and how to work with them, either in general or as a leader. Now let's cover my high-level results. The last time I took the assessment, I was an ESFJ or an ESTJ. Now why the two, you might ask? Well, ESFJ is my personal report and ESTJ is my workplace-specific result. My take after going through the reports and knowing myself is that I'm more logical and objective in the workplace. Part of that is due to the responsibilities that I've had. And yes, my first goal was always to lift others, but I had to balance that with the core objectives of the organization. And in life in general, I'm more likely to focus on being sensitive to the needs of others and nurturing them. That happens a lot when you have little kids living in your home like I do right now. As for what the letters mean, E means extrovert. I've discussed this quite a bit in the main episode on personality styles, and I'll cover it more in a bit. S means sensing, more practical versus going on instinct alone. F for feeling or T for thinking, and J for judging. And before you think I'm a judgy person, hold that judgment until the section later in this episode. As for the fun aspects, here are the celebrities and fictional characters my type relates to. I'm going to use ISTJ as that's the personality results that come up the most often. Darth Vader, Professor McGonagall, Spock, Thorin Oakenshield, Sean Connery. So those are just a few of them. Now, in addition to the letters, I've talked about how you need to understand how close or extreme you are in various areas. My I versus E has been consistently balanced for a long time. And depending on what's going on in my life, I only move about five points away from 50-50, and that's almost always to the I side. My most extreme set of results are the J versus P. 
I usually land somewhere in the 75-25 range. I don't remember ever taking an assessment and having it be close. S versus N is about 55-45. That one on occasion will switch to the N if I've been deep into something strategic for an extended period of time. The F versus T is an interesting one for me. If I look at the last two sets of results, one was 50-50 and the other 61-39 in favor of the F. And I'll talk about how I see this one later in the episode. Now, let me give some additional context around each of the letters. Again, this is based on my results and having worked with them over a long period of time, but it should just give you an idea of what you can do with your results. I agree with the introvert and extrovert tendencies being pretty balanced. Extroverts have a tendency to be very expressive, and basically that means that they express their opinions. They're willing to share their opinions. And that's definitely something that I do, especially in the workplace. I know that about myself, and those that knows me are those that know me are probably just chuckling right now. In a recent assignment, I made sure my team knew, knew that I was working on being a better listener and letting others share their opinions before I jumped in. This was a deliberate effort over the course of about 18 months. I made a lot of phone calls and sent a lot of Slack messages after meetings apologizing for having done more than my fair, fair share of the speaking. I got better at it, but it's something I have to deliberately work at all the time. Now, this is a good example of why I say that it can be very difficult to change some of these traits or attributes. It's not that you can't do it, but it takes consistent, sustained effort over time to learn how to mitigate these behaviors. Even then, you have to be aware that if you're stressed out, it's probably still going to be your default behavior. I know if I head into a high-stakes meeting and things aren't going well and I need them to, I'm going to have a very hard time not letting my expressive nature come clear to the front. So that's why I lean towards the extrovert side of things. On the introvert side, it's not that I don't like being part of a team or being around people, but it's 100% about recharging my personal batteries. It's a mental and physical need that I have. And instead of working on this one, trying to not need to recharge my batteries in one way, I just learned how to manage it and embrace it. And let me give you an example. Because of the leadership roles I've had in my professional career, and at church and at home, I've had to learn to adapt or I would end up wandering around like a zombie. At my core, and when I'm stressed, exhausted, or something else triggers my defaults, I find much more comfort in activities associated with being an introvert. I read, watch a TV show or movie, not in a theater, or find some other way to allow my brain to rest without worrying about others or worrying about problems that need to be solved. Now, that's not really possible while you're actively leading a team or other individuals, including a family. Here's an example that I think illustrates this. Over the years, I've attended a lot of seminars and conferences. Over time, my approach to conferences has changed tremendously. I used to want to try and be in the middle of everything because I felt that is what I was expected to do. As I've changed my priorities and motivations over the years, I've learned how to manage conferences while still embracing my natural introvert tendencies. A few years ago, I was asked to attend and speak at a tech conference. I was the guest of our vendor and was participating in a panel, speaking in two additional sessions, and had the obligatory meetings with various partners within the organization. It was a pretty full schedule, and I don't know that I even had time to attend anything else except maybe a general session or two. On top of that were all the normal networking activities, demo booths slash room, and there was even a concert. So from what I've told you about my introvert tendencies, how does that sound? And I'll answer it. It doesn't sound great to me, but it was important to me and both organizations, and I was committed to doing what needed to be done. 
but I also knew that I would need time to recharge. So how did I manage it? I met with our account exec and his peers in the hotel lobby for just a bit. And then when they all headed off to the social activity, I grabbed food, went back to my hotel room, a book, my iPad, and I was good to go. Day two consisted of the general session and then all three of my speaking assignments. By the time they pulled me off stage in the middle of one assignment to speak in another, I was about done. I still remember my host asking if I wanted to go to dinner later and then his face when I'd said I'd be happy to go right then, it was about four o'clock, if we went somewhere close. I think he was really surprised. He was absolutely an extrovert and that's probably why he did such a good job as an account exec. That's a job I wouldn't want. But he was great and we went across the street, had a great meal and then went our separate ways. He went on to additional activities and again, me, back to the hotel room for a repeat of the reading, iPad, etc. Now, I know a lot of folks love the social aspects of these conferences, but I just get more drained. If I manage my energy like I did in this particular instance, I can get through three days. If I don't, I'll be a zombie early on day two. I mentioned in the short episode on introvert versus extrovert that my wife and I are opposites. We learn to work through this and give each other the kind of recharge time we needed. One way we did this when our families were young and we lived close to extended family was to agree to divide and conquer. And what I mean by that is my wife would take the kids to her parents' house where there was almost always an extremely large number of people. She got plenty of help with the kids, was able to be around all of her siblings and other family members. Grandparents got to see the kids. And I would stay home and find other things to do. She recharged by being around family and I recharged by getting some quiet time. Now, this exact approach may not work for everyone, but the lesson to take from this is that if you and your spouse understand each other's needs, then you can work together to ensure that both of you get to recharge your batteries. All right, let me talk about sensing for just a minute. This is the S. I won't spend a ton of time talking about it, but most often I end up defaulting to sensing. That's more about being detail-oriented, working with facts, and using my previous experience to make decisions. Intuition would be more about going with a gut instinct or working more with ideas and concepts. I do go by gut instinct, but more often than not, I do so related to people. And that's really a combination of what I observe of others and then using my instincts based on previous experience to draw conclusions. The other way this really comes out with me is when it comes to problem solving. I much prefer to take solution A and solution B and create new solution C versus starting with a completely blank piece of paper. Hand me the blank paper and I can probably still get somewhere, but it will take much longer and way more energy than if I can look at how someone else has handled a similar problem or situation and can tweak it to meet the current needs. Now T versus F. This area is where the concept of having a default behavior really comes out for me. I personally believe that my default is a T, which means I'm more logical and objective. If I'm under any significant stress, that's where I'm going to go almost immediately. My family will probably say, yep, I'm not nearly as fun and more likely to take the rules are the rules kind of an approach. So if I take the assessment during a time of stress, it will for sure come up as a T. If I take it during a low stress time, it might be more of an F. This is also the one area that I've made a personal focus to be more balanced. I want to be the kind of person that can approach that can be appropriately compassionate in all circumstances, yet still be objective and logical. In my leadership opportunities, especially in a professional world, I think this balance is key. If I'm too soft on my kids or my team, 
they end up falling into the entitlement trap that is so prevalent today. If I'm too tough on them, it starts to create resentment and resistance. And if I'm balanced, then we can work together on their personal journeys. In the business world, I think this is one of the keys to helping those you lead find success elsewhere. If someone that works with you isn't going to be successful where they're at right now, you have to be objective enough to help them realize that. And yet you need to understand the impact that this situation is going to have on them. That's where the right amount of compassion is essential. You may have to help them move on for the good of the organization and for themselves, but there's a right way to do it. Not to get off on a tangent, but if you've paid any attention to how layoffs are being handled nowadays, you might realize that way too many folks that are doing these layoffs are in the extreme range, or at least they're the ones determining how these layoffs are being handled. Cutting off access in the middle of the night, notifying folks that their position is eliminated via email only. Those are just a couple of examples that make, may make logical sense, has to be done, less liability, etc. But they completely ignore the fact that human beings have feelings. There's no compassion in that. And in my opinion, it's just sad. Finally, my most extreme section is judging versus perception. I told you to reserve judgment on my J, so let me explain what it is. Those that judge are about making a plan and sticking to it, setting goals, following rules, setting clear expectations. Those with a high P are more go-with-the-flow types. Totally makes sense that I'm a J. I go through multiple revisions of a plan versus just going by the seat of my pants. I know a lot of individuals that will head out on a road trip and just drive until they're tired and then find a place to stay or sleep. I couldn't do that. When we used to drive from Texas back home to Utah, I knew the route I was taking where we were stopping to eat, where we were stopping for gas. None of that was go with the flow kind of stuff. Now, this is another area where my wife and I are different. She's not quite as extreme, but she can definitely be the go with the flow type. I think she likes to know where we are headed, but the details are just not that big of a deal to her. So here are some insights about my various styles. Again, these are just examples of the kinds of things you'll be able to get out of your own assessment. Leadership style. I communicate clear guidelines and schedules, and I foster open communication. Those are the things that stand out for me in that section. For my communication style, I'm focused on accomplishing goals, providing support, as well as anticipating the needs of others. Those resonate with me as well. Engaging socially is one that's listed, but I don't know that I necessarily agree with it. I can do a limited amount of socializing, but it's usually as part of other activities like team meetings, for example versus something that's just a dedicated social activity. Relationship style, look to assist others in practical ways, share personal values. Those are the things that I see the most in me. At work style, the first thing listed is friendly and collaborative. I agree with collaborative, but have to be conscious of being too expressive, which I talked about above, when collaborating. One of the sections I pay attention to is what are my potential strengths and weaknesses or potential pitfalls? For my personal strengths, they list four, and I agree with two of them, while I'm not as sure about the others, or at least the others might depend on what is going on at the time. The two I agree with are consistency and helpfulness. I see consistency as being reliable, as well as you know what you get with me, and for better or for worse, I believe that is the case. Now, the other side are the potential pitfalls. First, avoiding roles that require high degrees of innovation and discovery. I mentioned this above when I talked about starting with a, a blank page. Those situations are certainly a potential pitfall for me. 
And I know based on this whole report that I'm not likely to thrive in an environment that is already high performing. So anytime I'm exploring an opportunity, I have to probe to understand if the expectation is to start from scratch with nothing to go on or keep the lights on, or if I'm in an organization that has been going along, they know the problems or at least have an idea of the problems that they want to solve, and they're looking for somebody to come in and transform the organization. That's what I get out of some of these strengths and pitfalls as related to uh, my work, my workplace style. Now, one other pitfall I would mention is that at work, my first inclination is not to be warm and fuzzy. Some of this comes from my call center days and other is just a reaction to the sense of entitlement that is so pervasive in the world today. My default attitude in the workplace is more of you do what you're supposed to and you get a paycheck and we're good versus the unlimited pats on the back kind of approach. Because I understand this about myself, I can work to mitigate it. One thing I do on any team I lead is make sure that someone else is very into all of the warm and fuzzy stuff and is willing to keep pushing me in that direction. On a management team, someone always needs to be the one responsible for the celebrations, parties, etc. A second thing I have done is, is use what I call a personnel sheet. It's a simple document that I use when I'm managing multiple teams. It's a spreadsheet, has info about the associate. The managers and I review them regularly. And when used correctly, it gives me small pieces of information I can use to help the individuals feel like more than just an employee. So for example, on this sheet would be anything of its significance about their personal life. If one of their kids has a sports tournament over the weekend, that could go into the sheet. And then when I see them the next week, I can ask them how it went. That doesn't mean I have to know everything about each individual, especially in a large organization, but it does make a difference to have the leader make an effort like this. I don't do it naturally, so I mitigate it through others and through using tools. Now, the last thing I want to cover today is how this kind of information makes a difference to more than just you. It's so important that you take this information and understand how it impacts you, but taking it to the next level has two parts. First, once you get good at understanding these concepts, you can start to understand others better. Nothing is a substitute for an assessment, but most people you interact with are not going to hand you the report to read. So what you can do is take what you know about yourself and start seeing similarities or differences in others. That will change how you interact with them. And then the final step is taking what you know about yourself and those most important to you and making a plan to enhance those relationships. I think that's probably more than enough information at this point. You should have a little bit better insight into who I am as a leader and how I got there. But most importantly, I hope this helps you understand why it's such an important topic and how you too could get to know yourself better and then use that information to improve as a leader, move forward on your journey, and more successfully lift others. And maybe most important of all, this is something that can help you build better relationships in all aspects of your life. That's it for today. If you want to be notified of future episodes, hit the subscribe or follow button or follow Leaders Lift on Instagram, LDRSLFT. You can also visit our website for more great content and resources to help you on your leadership journey. And check out the show notes for all of the relevant links and takeaways from this episode. Thank you again for tuning in. Now go out there and keep lifting.